Okay, top 10 sins and struggles. This is lesson number four. And tonight we're going to continue the, uh, with the countdown of sins and struggles that you listed on your surveys. In case you're new to the class, maybe uh, you, if you're watching this on video, you haven't seen the previous classes. But a month ago, we uh, handed out a survey uh, in this congregation and we we, uh, we asked members to list which sins and personal struggles were most prevalent in their lives. This was an anonymous survey. We didn't ask people to put their names on it. We received a tremendous response and this series of classes is based on what the church, the information that the church gave back to us, what you said was the most troublesome areas in your spiritual life. So tonight, uh, we're going to do, uh, we're going to deal with the problem that was uh, in seventh place. You know, we're, doing, we're doing it as a top 10 countdown. So the tenth was laziness, anger nine, cursing and gossiping. We did last time eight. And coming in at number seven is the sin of pride. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So in the Bible, there are several root words in both the Hebrew language and the Greek language that are translated as pride or proud in the, in the English language. These Hebrew or Greek words in various forms also combine to give us other words which are similar to pride. For example, the word haughty or vain or boastful, arrogant, disdainful, insolent, high-minded, and so on and so forth. You know, there are a lot of words that are associated with the idea of pride. Many words used to describe the different shades, different manifestations of pride, but whatever the words, they always go back to the source attitude, uh, which, is, which is pride. Now the Hebrew and Greek words translated into English as the words pride or haughtiness are quite descriptive of this particular sin, like it gives you a, a visual description of it. For example, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew words for pride meant, among other things, to mount up or to rise or to swell or to be high up, to ascend, to aspire to majesty, uh, to presume, to be insolent, arrogant, to appear above. Uh, and so on and so forth. In the New Testament, the Greek words used to describe pride meant also to inflate or to boast or to brag. One that I thought was interesting was to consume without fire. <laughs> In other words, all smoke, no fire. You know, they had this concept of what pride was, to consume something without fire. And so all of these words were used to describe the sin of pride. Now the words give us a picture and an idea of what pride is, but not necessarily how pride is a sin. It tells us what people who are proud act like, what you're looking for, but why is it, why is it a sin? Well, basically the sin of pride occurs when we, in some way, leave or refuse to occupy our proper place in God's design. So pride is usually exhibited in three main ways. Number one, when we improperly estimate our worth. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 verse 3, 
For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So we often hear, uh, we often read rather, or hear about people who have you know, low self-esteem and the many problems that this personality condition you know, produces. People with low self-esteem, you know, it, it, it creates a lot of problems in their lives. Well, pride is just, it's the, the opposite problem. A proud person has too high an esteem of himself or herself. This heightened self-esteem is exhibited in a variety of ways. For example, um, arrogance. Arrogance is thinking one's rights are primary over others. You know, the complete disregard for other people's feelings or rights and so on, that's arrogance. My way or the highway, you know, we're going to do it my way. You get out of my way, that's, that's arrogance. Thinking that my right to do what I'm doing supersedes everybody else's rights. Uh, boasting, setting forth one's own talents or possessions or actions as superior because they're our actions. My way is better, why? Well, because it's my way. <laughs> That's why it's better, because it's my way. My things are better, why? Because, because they're my things, and so on and so forth. Um, Self-righteousness, assuming that our conduct and our ideas and our lifestyle are better because they stem from ourselves. Self-righteousness. Haughtiness, to assume that we are essentially more valuable because of the position we hold in society. We're royal, movie stars, you know, rich people. There's nothing wrong with being rich, but sometimes rich people think they're better, essentially, simply because they're rich. So there are other negative expressions of pride, condescending, self-centeredness, you know, but you get the idea, we don't have to beat this to death, I think we understand what it means. So pride expresses itself, first of all, as an improper estimate of our true worth as human beings by ourselves. Another expression of pride is when we measure our worth by the things that we possess. John the Apostle calls this the boastful pride of life. He says, for all that is in, a, in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Whether it's a house or a car or an education, whether it's your name or the group you belong to, we feel superior because of what we possess. Another word for this type of pride is status or class. You know, much of the advertising on television or magazines or whatever on the, online, they appeal to this desire within people. They, they go right for this thing. The approach is very simple. The approach says in a variety of ways, if you own this, fill in the blank, car, TV, jeans, makeup, whatever, 
if you own this, you will be special. You will be unique. You will be better, smarter, you know, superior, because you have this thing than those who don't have this thing. This is why some people will pay an extra 30, 40% for a product that has a particular emblem on it. We know, we know that, right? T-shirts, you know, without the logo, without the little alligator or whatever the logo is. T-shirts without the logo are half as expensive as the very same T-shirt that has that little logo on it. This is pride by identification, vicarious pride, pride by exclusivity. You know, we have a circle, we're in this circle, you can't come in this circle because this circle is special, and we identify ourselves in this circle because of our name, because of what we own, whatever. So we assume a special status by associating with, whatever, name drop, product, or owning something that makes us better somehow than those who do not possess these things. A third expression of pride is self-sufficiency. This type of pride exists in the one who feels or believes that they are sufficient unto themselves. I don't need anybody. I don't need you and I don't need them. You know, I don't need anybody. This is the person who believes that they and they alone control their own lives and that whatever they have or whatever they've achieved is a result of their own efforts. I mean, that's true to a certain extent, right? Again, I, I'm, I'm not criticizing successful people who have worked very hard to arrive at where they have arrived. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that at all. But to think that your success and what you have is only because of what you have done. <laughs> no, that's, that's pride. These people take great pride in their accomplishments and they agonize over their defeats. You see, if you're 100% responsible for everything you have and your success, if that's how you think, well then you're also 100% responsible for your failings. Oh, that's a hard way to live. Because when you're up on the top, it's great, but when you go down in the valley, it's pretty tough. Um, these are the ones that Paul refers to in Romans chapter 1, verse 22, when he says, professing to be wise. This type of pride begins with self as the center of the universe and measures all else in the context of how it will positively or negatively affect self and one's sufficiency. Now there may be other types of proud behavior, but they can easily be fitted into one of these categories. Exaggerated self-worth, elevated status derived from things, or the desire to be totally self-sufficient. So now that we've described prideful behavior, and again, I don't think I've revealed anything that we don't already know, but you know, we've kind of categorized it a little bit, put some words to it. Let's see why these attitudes are considered sinful. We know that the word sin means missing the mark. So let's discuss how these types of behavior miss the mark established by God. Here's the thing, 
God is the one who established what the target is, not man. That's why the word, the original word in the original language, you know, that is translated into, into English, sin, the original word means you, you, there's a target and whatever you've done, whatever you've said or done, your attitude, your actions, whatever, have missed the mark. Why is it sin? Well, because God is the one that establishes the mark. Okay? So let's look at exaggerated self-worth. When we exaggerate our true value, we basically are guilty of lying about ourselves. That's the sin. Pride, in this sense, is a delusion about self and who we really are. This false sense of self begins in our hearts. Jesus says in Mark 7.21, from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries. What else? Pride. I think I've got it on the next slide here. No, but if you go on, he mentions the word pride. comes from the heart. Isaiah the prophet explains that the root of pride is the desire to leave our place beneath the sovereignty of God and rise to a new and a higher place, even putting ourselves above God in some instances. In Isaiah 14 he writes, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn! You've been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you, they will ponder over you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? Interesting passage, Isaiah here is talking about a king, okay? but in a prophetic sense, in a spiritual sense, he's also talking about Satan. And he's saying the sin, you, know, you wonder, what was the sin that the angel made? The sin was he tried to elevate himself. The beautiful, the morning star, you know, that particular angel, thought that he could rise above the place where God had placed him. And as a result, God cast him down. But the idea is, the idea that this, this passage is getting across is that pride is a lifting up of ourselves. A lifting up of ourselves out of the position that God has, has put us in as human beings. So Paul, he says that this sin is so pervasive that it infiltrates everyone's heart to some degree or another. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, he's talking about revelations that God has given him as an apostle. So he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, Boy, talk about a guy who's self-aware. He says, I've seen, I've seen, God has shown me things that no human being has ever seen. And in order to protect me against 
lifting myself up because of this, he says, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Imagine. So it is this essential evil thought that somehow we are better than what God sees us as. Or for those who don't believe in God, better because of the value that we place on ourselves. It is this thought within our hearts that drives the arrogance and the boasting and the self-righteousness and the haughtiness and all the rest. So that's, that's why it's a sin. This desire to lift ourselves up above where God has placed us and, 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 and left, left to, you know, to go all the way, we would lift ourselves up even beyond God. All right, let's look at another, you know, why pride is a sin. When it comes to pride based on the value of our possession, the sin is idolatry. So when we draw our value and personal worth from the things that we own or associate with, we are giving to these things the credit for who we are. This is a form of worship. If a person does this, he is investing his hope for self-worth and value in something else other than God. So that when we do this, you're wondering, what's the sin here? Well, the sin is idolatry. I mean, it's not idolatry like you know, the Canaanites had idolatry or the, the Egyptians had you know, They actually were on their knees in front of stone statues or you know, the stars in the sky. You know, there's that kind of idolatry. Worshiping something other than God as God. But in this case, we worship the thing that gives us value. That's the thing that we worship. So the worship of an idol is not only confined to bowing down to a statue or image, it includes making gods out of the things we acquire or pursue by thinking that they can make us better or happy. You know, we begin with the primary idea, only God can make us happy. He's the one that holds the key to our happiness. So when we transfer you know, the power to make us happy to a thing, well then that's a, you know, we, we've given the power that God has to this thing. In the end, uh, 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 drug addiction, alcohol, so at the beginning, when that begins, they say, where's the sin? Well, yes, you're harming your body, but the, the essential spiritual sin is idolatry. You're giving to that substance the power to make you happy. <laughs> so the psalmist says in Psalm 52, uh, 7, Behold the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire trusted in the abundance of his riches, whatever that is. Physical strength, monetary, you know, monetary strength, 
intellectual power, political power, it doesn't matter what it is. How many people are happy when they're on top and sad we're on the bottom? Because the thing that gives them joy is winning at whatever, winning the argument, getting their way, that's what makes them happy, see what I'm saying? So we can, we can derive satisfaction from our accomplishments, of course, and our possessions. This is normal. But when things become the reason why we think we are better than others, then our pride has given these things an evil life of their own. All right, pride in self-sufficiency. Why is this a sin? So self-sufficiency is the type of pride that is most condemned in the Bible because the sin inherent in this type of pride is that of denying God and His power over you. Previously I said God's power in making you happy, in satisfying you, in giving you what you really need in life. Here the sin is denying the power that God has over you exaggerating our worth or elevating our own worth through things, our sins, which are committed with the knowledge of God. So self-sufficiency, however, says that I don't need God, or there is no God, or there's only me, and as far as, 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 far as my world is concerned, I am God. <laughs> you know, when somebody says, nobody's going to tell me what to do, well, they've just basically said, oh yeah, I mean if I were God I'd just be, I'd just be looking around for somebody to say that, you know? make my day, go ahead, please, please say it, you know? I, I've got some thunderbolts I want to send your way. You know? So this dangerous sin is condemned vigorously throughout the scriptures. For example, in Job 37, 24, he says, therefore men fear him. He does not regard any who are wise of heart. It's not that, it, here he's not saying God doesn't like people who are wise, of course not. Here wise of heart means he doesn't regard those who think they're you know, too smart or smarter than he is, or so smart that they don't need him, or so smart that they don't think he exists. Psalm 10, verse four. The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his, all his thoughts are, there is no God. That's self-sufficiency. Next passage, Proverbs six sixteen. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood, haughty eyes. Proverbs 30, 12. There is a kind who is pure in his own eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Again, the unwritten thing, the, the unsaid idea is, therefore let him who thinks he stands in brackets, alone, by himself, 
by his own power. Let that person be very careful lest he fall. And then one other, 1 John 1, 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. To deny that there is God, there is a God, or that we need God, or that we are under God's power is to sin, to say we don't have sin, the truth is not in us. To think that our position or talent or wealth or health, our very existence is somehow achieved apart from God, this is sinful disrespect and ingratitude. To think that our goodness is self-sufficient to stand before God is both spiritual ignorance and boldness. You hear people sometimes that don't know a lot about you know, the Bible, not, not a lot of training in spiritual things, make these bold declarations. Boy, when I see God, I'm going to tell Him, and you know, oh boy, you're saying, don't say that. You know. To think that we don't need God every moment for everything is the height of spiritual blindness from which few ever recovery, uh, recover. That's why this particular sin is so dangerous. You're not hurting God's feelings. It's, it's like you're on self-destruct mode and you don't even know it. Okay, so so far you know, we've described the sin of pride and its various expressions. We've also examined how exactly are these forms of pride how are they sinful? Why, they use, why are they contrary to God's will and therefore wrong? So let's finish our lesson tonight on pride with some teaching about how to deal with this very common sin in our lives. And I mean, it's almost, you know, we make this little caveat, well, everybody has this sin. And, well, you know, uh, sometimes that's true and sometimes that's not true. But pride, boy, it's very hard to live your life without ever falling into one of these categories for a time. Okay? So let's, let's talk about pride as an exaggerated self, a sense of worth. A lot of times when we do things or say things to raise ourselves up, it comes from an incorrect view of our true worth. Solomon says that it is foolish to brag to others because they often see the discrepancy between what you are and what you say you are. Proverbs 25, 27, he says, it is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glory to search out one's own glory. It is better, he says, to let another praise you, for this will be a more legitimate assessment of your worth. Proverbs 27, 2, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. And you know what? When somebody praises you, just say thank you. <laughs> Some people go, oh, no, not really. No, that's not really true. <laughs> you know, my mother taught me, you know, if someone says, uh, you know, I don't know, whatever, I like your tie, just say thank you. Just say thank you. It's okay. Take a compliment. In another proverb, Solomon says that pride brings dishonor and not honor to a person. He says, when pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. In Romans 12, 3, Paul tells Christians 
not to think of themselves more highly than they ought to. We read that before. In other words, we should have an estimate of ourselves, but it should be in line with reality. We should think no more or no less than what we really are. You know, the problem a lot of times is that people either underestimate themselves. No, I'm not really that good. Or they, you know, they, they set the bar extra low for themselves or they think it's being humble if they improperly evaluate themselves and always lowball themselves. Why? The Bible says try to have a realistic evaluation of yourself. You know, if you have a beautiful voice and you sing beautifully, it's okay to say that one of my talents is that I, I love to sing and I've been told that I, I have a good voice. That's okay. In other words, we should have an estimate that equals reality. We should think no more but no less than what we really are. In 2 Corinthians 10.18, Paul truly gets this issue of self-worth into perspective when he says the following, for it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. And in the church, let others praise you. you know. I had a young guy write to me recently, just today as a matter of fact, on the Bible Talk website, and he asked me, the question was, how do I know what my gifts are? How can I tell what I'm good at or what my ministry should be in the church? I haven't written him yet because I just saw that before we left to, to come to church, but I was thinking about my answer and one of my answers, one of the points I was going to make to this young guy is, what are other people in the church saying to you about you? <laughs> are they saying that they enjoy when you lead a prayer and they think that you're very thoughtful, so on and so forth? Do you happen to teach a class and you get a lot of great feedback? You know, what are other people in the church telling you? What are your elders, because I'm sure he's not an elder, he's, a very, he's 20 years old. What are your elders, if you have any in your church, what are they saying about you? Let the church tell you, you know, what, your, what your strengths are. That's one way that God speaks to you through His, through His people. Okay. In other words, if the Lord approves of you, you are as worthy and valuable as anyone can ever become. As a matter of fact, for the Christian, the only legitimate boasting is to boast about what Christ has accomplished in you. As Paul says, and he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will uh, boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. The best things about my life, me, Michael, are the things that God has done in my life. And that's not just, you know, whoa, I, I need to add that because it fits with my lesson. That's the truth. That's my witness. If I had to make a, you know, make a list of the good things in my life, I mean, the good things in my life were either given to me, right? My wife was given to me as a gift. My education was enabled by others. 
My opportunity to serve was given to me by the church. Whatever skill I may have as a teacher was given to me by the Lord. And so whatever things that I could look at and say, these are good. They're all things that have been given to me. <laughs> How can I boast about that? The only boast that I could technically make is, isn't it amazing what God can do with a person like me? Because I remember me before I became a Christian and I remember me as a young Christian. Isn't it amazing what God can do with very little, <laughs> very, very little. So if boasting and bragging is the form of pride that you may struggle with, remember that others are never impressed by it and that the only legitimate boast is how much Christ has done to and through you. All right, let's talk about the pride of life or the pride of possessions. In our nation, this is the form of pride that affects the most of us. We live in a very wealthy nation. We live in a very materialistic society where the pressure to judge and value other people by what they wear, what they drive, where they live, this is a very, very powerful thing. We can't, we can't leave this society and go live in a cave or in a monastery. Jesus said that we lived in the world, but we must not be of the world. So how do we do this? How do we not assume our value based on the things that we own? Well, first of all, we do it by, by keeping our priorities in order. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There's two things there. Aside from seeking first God's will for my life, not, you know, people are always saying, I just want to know what your will is for my life. You know, and there's my life from here to 29 years from now. But that's, that's incorrect. It's, Lord, what is your will for my life today? Because I don't, I don't have tomorrow, just today. What do you want me to do today? How shall I act? today. That's the priority. The other thing that's interesting is that he says this is your priority, this is your work, this is where you invest your emotional and spiritual energy into figuring out, Lord, what will you have me do today? And, and, and when you do that, he provides the things you need. Sure, we, we work, we, we get a job, you know, we save our money, of course, yeah, we understand that. But He provides in the sense He provides through the opportunities. He provides in His own way. But there's an interesting thing here. It says, it says um, uh, 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 He's going to provide the things that you need. Well, and He also provides how much of it you have. <laughs> he provides how much of it that you have. So we need to keep our priority in order. First the spiritual, God's will, God's work, God's purpose, this is your first priority, and then He's going to provide in His own way the things that you need. 
Don't work for things. Don't pray for things. Don't be anxious for things. Work for Him. Pray for the knowledge of His will. Be anxious to do what is right. He's going to provide the things. And I know that's not easy sometimes, you know, when the bills are coming in and the, you know, the payroll is less than the bills. But on the day that the payroll is less than the bills, that's the problem for that day. And the prayer is, Lord, today this is the problem that I have. What will you have me do? How can I resolve this? Help me in this. Okay, we've got to move a little bit. Let's talk about <coughs> pride as far as self-sufficiently. Uh, self-sufficiency. How do we overcome this most dangerous form of pride? Well, if you've recognized that you fall in this area, the fact that you actually see it, boy, that's a sign of hope. Like all sins, you know, acknowledging is the first and greatest step. So I believe that there are two ways that God deals with those who are self-sufficient. That's their pride. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm the boss. My, you know, that type of thing. First, He warns them. He warns them. Psalm 49 verse 10, he says, for he sees that even the wise, meaning the self-sufficient, for he sees that even the wise men die. The stupid and the senseless alike perish and uh, 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 leave their wealth to others. And then in Matthew 23, 12, he says, and whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. So the first thing that God does is He warns us about this stuff. Through His word, through His people, God warns us of the danger of this as well as every other sin. So some people hear the warning, they repent, others ignore it to their own destruction. And then secondly, He disciplines people who have this problem. Sometimes God breaks a person down through trials and sorrows so that person will learn to lean on God. I can tell you in my own life, trying to do it my way, I, I can remember one point, no job, no money, no car, no home. I was living with a family. I was working for a roofing company, a private roofer. This is after you know, years and years of abuse, years and years of living drugs and alcohol and craziness and all that kind of stuff that got me to the point where I lost everything, nothing left, nothing, no family, no money, no car, no job, nothing. And I was living with this family and uh, the, the, the dad gave me a, a job working on his crew. And my job was to run the truck uh, from all the junk around the house, you know, all the shingles and all the trash, and I'd pick all that stuff up in the truck and I'd drive it out to the dump. And then I would dump the stuff and I would come, that was my, that was my job. And I remember the day, I remember the day when finally in my head it, it clicked, okay, you're God and I'm nothing because I was at the dump, standing in the truck, having just dumped stuff, and I was looking out at other people who were dumping stuff, and I saw a, a, a couple throwing stuff away, and I saw them throw a jacket away. And I looked at the jacket, and don't forget now, 
I mean, at one point in the 1970s, I was making $100,000 a year for the company that I worked for. This is in the 70s. And now I'm standing in this truck and I'm looking at a jacket that this person has thrown in the dump with all the birds you know, foraging for the trash. And I'm thinking, I think I'm, I'm going to go for that jacket. And I looked over and there was another guy looking at the jacket and we were about to race <laughs> in the dump to see who would be first to get the jacket. And it was at that point in my life when I finally said, okay, there, there's no lower than this. I can't get lower than this. You're the boss. You're the boss. I'm not the boss. You've made me into nothing, less than nothing. And it was after that, after that experience, that I came back to Montreal, blah, 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 started reading the Bible, eventually was converted. In the end, what God wants is for us to completely rely on His word, His provision, His timing, His mercy, His son, His church, in order to become whole and pleasing in His sight. And so we lose our self-sufficient streak of pride when we are often in His word, often in prayer, patient for His will to be done, kind and generous towards others before self, following His Son, serving His church. A lot of things there, a lot of ideas. When this is our lifestyle, we have learned to die to self and to live for Christ. And pride, believe me, pride will never ever again be the issue in our lives. Just think back to your own lives, the lowest point. Just think back to your lowest point and ask yourself, did my pride help me <laughs> or hurt me at that point? Okay, so much for number seven. We'll move on in our countdown next week. Thank you for your kind attention. <laughs>